Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. Open up your words. We're going to go to 2 Kings. I'm going to tell you a story, okay? 2 Kings chapter 6. It's a story about the prophet Elisha. That's the second one. You remember Elijah was the first one, and Elisha was the second one. Well, this is Elisha, all right? And uh, Elijah, the first one, had established some schools. They were called schools of the prophets. He had them established in Jericho. He had them established in different areas where the older prophet Elijah would go like on a, on a circuit, and he would preach, and he would train, and he would teach young prophets. But these young prophets, these young men of God, they were, they, they were kind of, uh, you know, uh, there weren't very many of them. One of the reasons believed that they had kind of thinned out during Elijah's ministry was because of the servant of Elijah named Gehazi. Gehazi was kind of a greedy person. He was somebody that liked money. He liked increase. And, you know, he took care of some of Elijah's stuff. And it seems as though that he may not have liked to have to feed a lot of uh, disciples <laughs> and taken care of or housed them and, you know, really taken care of them. And so he may have been less than accommodating. In fact, there's even, you know, some scholars believe he was mean to them. And so perhaps they thinned out. But once Elijah was off of the scene and had gone to heaven, and once that Gehazi was no longer over the schools... Guess what happened? Boy, they began to increase in numbers. People wanted to know about God. You know, there were two different tracks you could get on to be a part. Actually, three different tracks at least. One of them, you could be born into the priesthood as a Levitical minister. Number two, you could become, through training, a teacher of the Word. Or number three, you could be called by God as a prophet, but without respect as to how you got into a ministry position, you still had to learn, you still had to be taught. Ministry is a skill set. It's not just, I think I'm called, so I'll just go start doing. In what profession do you do that? You know, some of you out there may be called to be brain surgeons, but unless you have gone to school and learned how, let me tell you, I'm not taking a chance on it. Some of you might feel that you're called to be a pilot, but unless you go to school and get trained in that, I'm not getting in the plane with you. Some of you may feel like you've been called to handle eternal matters of eternal life and death. But unless you have been trained, unless you have to have more than just a calling or think you'd be good at it, I'm not going to sit down and listen to you. Why? Because many are called, but few are chosen. Why is there such a many and a few? Because the difference between being called and being chosen means that you have gone through preparation and that you are ready for the day whenever God calls upon you to perform ministry at a level 
that means eternal life for people who are lost and hurting and on their way to hell. We can't just haphazardly hand over the keys to the kingdom to anyone. Jesus spent three and a half years training up his disciples before he let them go. Paul did the same. Peter did the same. On and on and on and on and on. And so here is Elisha picking up the mantle. There was the school for prophets, okay? And you didn't just say, I'm called of God. I think I'll start prophesying. Okay, go do it. No. Even older prophets are encouraged to prophesy by two or three and let others sit by and judge. Listen, it's a, it's a critical thing to say I represent God. But that's what Elisha was doing. You know, you can't just do that on your own. Elisha got his mantle from this older prophet Elijah. So we're here at a place in verse 1 of 2 Kings 6, reading from the New King James Version. And the sons of the prophets said to Elijah, uh, Elisha, this is what they were called, sons of the prophets. They didn't, it doesn't mean they were biological sons. It means that they were spiritual sons. They had joined themselves and said, you, Elisha, you be my spiritual father. You teach me how to be a prophet. And so Elisha, listening to the sons of the prophets, they said to him, see now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. There were too many people. They couldn't house them all. Every time he'd get there, there were too many people to get into the church. They were having to go outside. They were, they, they, you know, they were sleeping outside. It was, it was just too small. Most likely, this was at Gilgal. It could have been at Jericho. But it's right near the Jordan River. So they said in verse 2 to Elisha, they went to Elisha, listen, our house is too small. Our church is too small. Our accommodations are too limiting. Please let us go to the Jordan River and let every man take a beam or a tree, cut down a tree from there and let us make there a place where we may dwell. And so Elisha answered and said, okay, go for it. Verse three, then one said, please consent to go with your servants. And so Elisha said, okay, I'll go with you. You know, I mean, he told them, yeah, go ahead and do it. They said, well, you know, would you please just come with us? You know, there's something wonderful. He here, the man of God, the voice of God, the prophet of God represents God to these people. It's wonderful to have God go with you. Moses said the same thing. God said to Moses, I'm going to send you and the children of Israel into the promised land. And Moses said, wait, God, would you just go with us? We don't want to go if you don't go. And that's what they're saying. Would you just go with us, Elisha? Uh, you know, we want God with us, not just sending us. And so he said, okay, I will go. Verse 4, so Elisha the prophet went with these sons of the prophets. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, alas, master. Elisha, Elisha, master. This axe head that I just lost, it was borrowed. Well, verse 6. So the man of God, the prophet Elisha, he said, where did it fall? That's the title of my message. Where did it fall? Where did it fall? 
and he showed him the place. So Elisha cut off a stick and threw it there, in there, into the water, into the Jordan, and he made the iron float. Therefore, the prophet Elijah said to this man who had lost his axe head, pick it up for yourself. So the man reached out his hand and took it. Now, Elisha considered here to be the leading prophet of God. He is considered to be the voice of God, the representative of God. And for all practical purposes, what you see Elisha doing here is, is, is being done as a representative of God. And remember now that, that the Bible is not just a history book. We don't embrace it as just a historical account. We believe that the Bible is a roadmap for our lives. We want these words to come off the page and be applicable to our life. So how can we understand what God is instructing? This is here for our instruction. How can we take this off of the page and put it into our lives? Well, there are three things that we can take home with us and our families today which will help us stay on course for the rest of this year to finish this year strong. There's just a couple of more days you can do it. And then to begin our next year strong as well. Let me offer you these three things, okay? Number one, exercise and resistance serve to strengthen us more than rest and relaxation. I say, how in the world did you get that out of there? Well, let me tell you, okay? Number one this morning, exercise and resistance. We're headed toward a new year. They serve to strengthen us more than rest and relaxation. You see, in the days of Jehoram, who was the king of Israel at this time, he was an idolatrous king. And... and there was such sin in Israel and such idolatry. Whenever we see things pressing and pushing against the church, the church seems to do even better, seems to get stronger. These were difficult times for the children of Israel. Yet the school of the prophets had increased in numbers. They had increased so much that, that, that they had to expand. In these difficult times, they were expanding. That's the way the church always does. In the, in, in the face of tragedy and trauma, hurt, the church always expands. Our heart expands. It's a principle from God's Word. We find this principle in Exodus 1 verse 12, very clearly written, talking about the children of Israel in bondage in Egypt. It says, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. You know, even fish do better in cold and salty water than they do in warm and fresh water. A little hardship, a little pressure, a little difficulty in life seems to make our hearts, our lives, and our churches grow and strengthen. And that's what had happened here with the school of the prophets. They had increased partly because of the pressure that was on them to become like Jehoram, to fall into idolatry every time the devil pushes and presses on us. We have an opportunity to get stronger. We have an opportunity. Resistance makes us stronger. When things are going well, it's no time to just kick up your heels and lean back because you will atrophy. You will get weak. You see, resistance and exercise serves us and serves to strengthen us more than rest and relaxation does. When things get tough, let me encourage you, you get tougher. God's not making things difficult. He's the one that has made this law. 
that resistance strengthens us. Don't despair. God will not let his enemies defeat you. Okay? Don't despair. Number two, God will often work with you where he will not work without you. Okay? God will often work with you in situations, circumstances, and places where he will not work without you. I've told you this story I don't know how many times over the last 30 years, but let me tell you again. There were two men talking, one of them standing on the road and one of them standing in his field. And the man standing in the field said, hey, did you see what I did with my field? Did you see all the, all the stuff I grew and how big and, 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 and you know, uh, productive my garden is? The man standing in the road wanting to correct this man's perspective, he said to the man who owned the field, don't you mean what you and God did? The man standing in the field said to this other man, you should have seen it when God had it by himself. God will work with you where he will not work without you. It's important to realize that these men, these sons of the prophets, they were willing workers. They didn't just sit around looking at the problem of we don't have a house, we don't have a bed, we don't have enough room. You know, they, they didn't just sit around, they got a plan together. You know, anyone can curse the darkness, but a wise person will light a lamp, get something going, take some initiative. It is harder for God to get people stepping than it is for him to direct their steps. While people are waiting on a move of God, God is often waiting on a move of people. God will work with us when we engage ourselves in doing what needs to be done. 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, verse 12 says, For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. You see, a willingness to work, a willing worker will find his plans blessed by God. A willing worker will find his plans blessed by God. God is the one who orders your steps. God is the one who feeds your desires. When you turn your life to him, he is the one that creates your destiny. And then your steps are ordered by him. If he can just get you to stepping, if he can get you to take some initiative, if something is bothering you, if you're going through difficulties, my goodness, get up and do something about it. You are probably the only person that can do anything about the things that trouble you most. Oh, come on. That's good stuff. Okay. Take some initiative because God will often work with you where he will not work without you. If you're sitting around wondering why God's not doing anything, it's because you're not doing anything. He's probably not going to paint your house, but he will be willing to go with you and help you paint it. 
He'll be willing to help you get the paint. He'll be willing to give you the strength. He'll be willing to give you creative ideas on, on, on all the things that you could do to make it better. I mean, if he can just get you out in the yard, you could have a really nice you know, landscaping. But you can sit in your house all day long wishing for one, and it ain't going to happen. It's the same way with a marriage. It's the same way with your bank account. It's the same way on your job. It's the same with everything. God will often work with you where he will not work without you. In relationships. You think God's going to make your relationship at work better with that coworker? No. He's going to use you to make it better. Okay. Last thing. Number three, stay sharp. This is all about losing the axe head. Okay. They lost their edge. Lost the sharpness, okay? Now, that can happen, okay? We can get so busy working that we lose what it takes to work with. We can get so busy doing life that we can lose perspective of what it takes to do life. You know what I mean? You can be so busy in the work of God like they were. They were in a work of God. They were building a church. They were building a school of the prophets. They were doing something that God had okayed and God was with them and they were working hard. But one man was not paying attention to what it actually took to be successful. And he lost his edge. He lost his sharpness. I liken this at times to me being a pastor and a preacher. I've read this numbers of times over the last 40 years and realized that I cannot lose sight of the things that I must have to do the work that I'm called to do. I can be so busy working and lose my relationship and lose my sharpness and lose my edge so that I end up cutting life with a dull knife. I gotta work on the things that I want to have. I've gotta work on the things that, that, that need doing. You know, we must pay attention to what it takes to do and to get what it is we want to have and keep. This man was working hard in what he believed in, but he did not notice that he was losing his edge. When you lose your joy and when you lose your desire and you lose your want to and, and you're still doing, you're still showing up and you're still, you know, when you lose what it was, when you lose that first love, when you lose whatever that is, well, that's what you need to find. And the prophet just simply asked him, where did it fall? Where did you lose it? Where did it go? You will normally find it in the very same place you lost it. Ecclesiastes 10.10, 10, I'll, I'll close with this. If the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength. But wisdom brings success. Yeah, it's just wise to sharpen your axe. If not, have you ever... Have you ever tried to have a marriage like this? Oh, 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 oh. You've got to put a lot of strength to it or you can sharpen it. That's life. It's life. It's life with everything we do. Don't lose your edge. But if you do, do what they did. Master! I've lost my sharpness. I've lost my, I've lost my ability to do what I want to do and believe in doing and I'm doing for you. Tell God where you lost it. He will apply the cross, but you will still have to be the one to pick it back up. It still requires you doing it. Amen? All right.